Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Did you know People has a podcast? Check out People Every Day. Join our team each weekday for the latest from Hollywood, exclusive interviews, plus news, style, and heartwarming stories guaranteed to brighten your day. Listen and subscribe to People Every Day, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, Eve and Villanelle are back for one last game of cat and mouse. We'll review the series finale season of Killing Eve. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of the These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband, and sometimes love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, losers. (laughs) Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of Dead on Deadline, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello, Rebecca. What are you chewing on? I'm chewing on some delicious Anna chocolate made here in Exeter, New Hampshire. Mm. Yeah. Laura's little, little case of the munchies, I think, as we're doing for this yeah. podcast. And finally, our captain of all things cynical, author of the City Trilogy, host of Strange Arrivals, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. So, Kevin, this is our Monday episode of this podcast. What is coming out on Thursday's episode? On Thursday, we are going to be talking about the new podcast from Apple Podcasts and Campside Media. It's called Run, Bambi, Run. Hmm. So, Laura, back to the chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes, what about it? Can you show me the package? You want to give that business a little plug? Yeah, this is the fantastic Anna Chocolate, Mm. who is right in Exeter, one of the only bean-to-bar, I think perhaps the only bean-to-bar right in New Hampshire. Anna Chocolate was one of the three chocolate shops in Exeter that participated in our murder mystery event that we did last month for the Exeter Lit Fest. And so I stopped in today to thank her for that. And as a result, I got some of the leftover Easter candy. (laughs) And I was very excited to receive it um, because... She like literally like you go in her chocolate shop and she's like grinding the beans and roasting the beans and doing everything in the back. And we did a really fun video before Lit Fest where we had like a clue that we dropped in a vat of chocolate and did a video of it. So we do love her. Toby, what is your official position on Cadbury cream eggs? With the ones uh, with the just stuff inside? Yeah, it was yeah. like snot that rolls out. <laughs> yeah, I think that's like a once a year thing. Yeah. Like one I like Cadbury to lick cream egg a year. Once a year. So I have another take. So first of all, Laura, I just want to commend you. I made the munchies joke, but what I, I didn't really mean it the way I said it. What I meant was you are once again, like really pumping your local businesses. And I just think it's wonderful that you I do that. am. I am the cheerleader. So the Cadbury, right? So the cream eggs, by the way, fucking disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, Cadbury. You do make those delicious. However, the little candy covered eggs. I love those. But yeah. there's two different kinds. There's the American kind and the British kind. They're very, very different. Have you yes. tried the two different ones? Maybe, but I don't recall. One of them is way more cloyingly sweet than the other one. I think the... Which is... I can never remember which is which. I think the British ones are way sweeter than the American ones. I think I like the British ones The American better. ones are pretty darn sweet, so... Yeah, they're, they're different, but they taste very, very different. And I remember we once had a listener. Who's, remember that listener who sent us a bunch of candy that one time when we first started the show? Oh, no. Yes, like when we first started the show, that listener sent us all that candy and I ate it all and you were super pissed. <laughs> yeah, that's why I don't know. 
You ate you it ate all. Potentially poisoned candy from a stalker. Okay. Yes. <laughs> we were talking about all the candy on the show, and they sent us all that, all those candy bars that they only make there. Remember that? Yes. Anyway, if any listener who lives there would like to do that, we would accept it again. But not a cream egg, please, because that shit is nasty. Well, I have a question about the cream egg, just and then we can move on very quickly. But don't you feel like now I know it's all exactly the same, it's just food coloring, but I always do feel like the egg yolk center tastes a little different than the white part of the egg, even though it's probably the same. How do we feel about How that? How do you eat it that you could possibly differentiate? You like kind of lick it <laughs> and like lick the different parts of the egg yolk. <laughs> See, that was, that was what I was, I was afraid that would be the answer. Um, <laughs> it's sort of like, it's sort of like those giant black and white cookies where it, like it's not chocolate and vanilla. It's just brown and white like it's exactly the same <laughs> flavor it's just well, trust me if you like take one bite of each side they are the same toby you poach the cadbury cream egg that's so yeah you just drop yeah. it right into the boiling water yeah that's it yeah it's a fine cuisine toby. you scoop the yellow out and then you make cadbury deviled cream eggs yeah. a little mustard in there a mustard paprika. for color yeah exactly yeah. Yeah. kevin where do you land on the cadbury cream egg um a nope Okay. Well, it's good to know that because usually like some like really sweet stuff. I'm surprised to hear that you don't like them. I'd rather not have snot. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I try not to think about it too much, but I don't like it as much as like jelly beans. Mm, yeah. That's my, that's my Easter treat. Yeah. 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 All right. Let's have a jelly bean, yeah. shall we? Okay. <laughs> um, so I think we should get started on this episode's review. What do you think, Kevin? Let's do it. All right. Let's get it done and drop that first clip. Someone has been hunting down and killing members of the Twelve. That means they know a damn sight more than we do about who they are, which in turn makes me want to know them. Unfortunately, my avenues of investigation have been recently cut off, so I need you to take up my good work and continue the investigation. After walking away from Villanelle at the end of last season, security analyst Eve Pilastri is immersed in her new obsession. With the help of friends, new and old, she's closing in on the mysterious yet powerful cabal known as the Twelve. You're still playing the same old game of chess. So what game are you playing? See, this is what I'm talking about. I want to sweep the chessboard off the table and set it on fire. I want to watch those little wooden critters burn. Elsewhere, Villanelle is having an identity crisis. Can she leave behind her life as an assassin and prove to herself and to Eve that she's not a monster? I understand it might be painful for you to see me blossoming. Oh, oh is that what you're doing? I'm trying to show you I've changed. You are the same person. You are exactly the same. I'm not here to argue. If Maybe I've changed. Meanwhile, Carolyn has her own plan for avenging her son's murder by the Twelve. And Constantine is tasked with making an assassin out of a misfit mortician. Push the woman into sea. Why? She hasn't done anything. There is no why. There's only do. Go push her in. No. Yes. Golden Globe winner Sandra Oh and Emmy winner Jodie Comer star in the fourth and final season of Killing Eve from AMC and BBC America. Our heroes seek to complete very personal missions, all while continuing their obsessive cat and mouse game with each other's emotions. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about extensive plot points from Killing Eve Season 4, so if you want to remain spoiler-free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs-up or thumbs-down reviews. Kevin? Yeah. I had one thought this whole season. What's going on? Do you re- Well, aside from that, do you remember in the first couple of seasons of Killing Eve that every time Villanelle was on screen, she was captivating, but we were also terrified? She was scary as hell. Yeah. that was, She was such a great character. Do you remember the scene where um, Eve went into the bathroom and, and Villanelle's there dressed as a nurse and they're side by side and you... Do you remember the scene? Don't you kill Bill in the discotheque in Germany? Yeah. Do you remember the scene where Eve was- That was amazing. Remember the scene where Eve was on the road and Villanelle was walking down the road and it was like the Terminator like coming? Yes. What happened to that show? That is my question that like, you know, feels to me like so much of the suspense 
has been sucked out of the show with this sort of attempt. I mean, I'm not yeah. saying it's bad yeah. to sort of have a redemption arc for a character, but it's weird. That's it's weird to me, right? Yeah, it is disappointing to see how Villanelle went from a really, really scary character to Eve's buddy, but it takes away sort of what was magical about her. Remember she had the line where she says, I know you're a psychopath. You should never tell a psychopath you're a psychopath. It upsets them. It's like such a beautiful line, and I think a lot of, you know, what happened was the dialogue and the direction in the first season was written by Phoebe Waller-Bridge, and so she brings that that sensibility from Fleabag and the other great stuff that she's written. And, like, I can see, as somebody who, like, does writing, I can sort of see where they're trying to go with everything. And, yeah, I guess it makes sense to end, like, okay, they want to connect that, but it just didn't come together. And it, we just had a, every se- every season it got, the quality got a little less. Mm-hmm. And I think this was really disappointing. Now, Laura, we did have that in previous seasons where Villanelle went back to, like, her hometown and you sort of saw her origin story. And you were able to sort of connect the dots as to how she became who she became and I don't think it's impossible to develop empathy for a character while having them remain terrifying and difficult and right. complicated. And right. I, I just sort of felt like they uncomplicated her, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I think what happened for me is that we take Villanelle away from being an assassin and we basically take away what made this character so fantastic, like her crazy outfits, her just like nonchalance mm-hmm. as she would like go kill somebody and come back in and like sit down and eat tea or take the ice cream from the little kid or whatever. And we took away like who she was in terms of not only as an assassin, which is her identity. Now she's like with like drag Jesus all the time who um, <laughs> drag I'm like, Jesus. Oh my God. see you later, drag Jesus. You know, so not only do you take her identity as an assassin away, Then next, step two, you take away the dynamic that you have between her and Sandra Oh, between her and Eve, which is really at the heart of the show, I think. And they were not in the same scenes very often together in this whole season. Yeah. So, Toby, we don't even have, you know, for lack of a better word, a lot of the fun Kill Bill-ish gratuitous assassination scenes in the show that, you know, sort of added the dynamism to the, I mean, it's not like I'm a, like a person who loves violence, but like, yeah, that provided a lot of the color for the first seasons. You know, I thought that was what was good about the first season and just, again, just steadily kind of declined is that you had Villanelle who, I mean, she's, she's a comic book character, a very sort of fleshed out comic book character, but I mean, you don't take it seriously. Like there's actually people like her walking around on the street and, you know, it's got the great outfits and she's always sort of assassinating people in these sort of exotic places. And it's sort of like a 1970s James Bond kind of thing. And then you had to contrast her with Eve, who in season one is like extremely conventional. And she's, you know, she's essentially like kind of a bureaucrat who kind of has a bee in her bonnet about this certain thing about, uh, you know, that there might be a serial assassin loose. But you're constantly getting this contrast between Philanelle's, you know, high living and then Eve, who's got like this sort of bohemian boyfriend and sort of has this fairly normal life other than this sort of obsession. And then you sort of get further and further away from that contrast till at the end, at the end of the second to last episode of the entire thing, Eve is like doing mixed martial arts moves on another assassin and like gouging their eyes out. And it's like, okay, well, if the idea was that you were going to have them sort of meet in the middle or like sort of transform into each other, like maybe, but it just kind of felt like the interesting dynamic was there is now gone. And you just got, got these like a bunch of really deadly people who may or may not be in love with each other. So Laura, what do you think about the fact that like all of those cartoony violent scenes and the contrast between Villanelle and Eve just like was not present in this season of the show. It's hard to say because I, I do feel like, I mean, like I'm thinking like, how do you wrap up this series? And I'm like, I'm sure you you think you need to have some sort of a character arc where now we're going to reverse roles. Now Eve's an assassin and Villanelle's with the Christian camp with like the Bible study people. But 
It just didn't work because, like, again, what worked about the show was this dynamic you had between the two female leads and the fact that Villanelle was a fucking amazing, cool, badass assassin. And she was funny when she was an assassin. And she had these great one-liners. And there was, like, a way that she struck a balance between being this, like, completely heartless, cold-blooded killer and being funny. In the same time, in this sort of like darkly comedic way. And that is just gone in this episode because, again, she's with this couple that she's living with. And, you know, there's like this weird dynamic there where the daughter of the vicar is, you know, clearly infatuated with her. But, you know, eventually she drowns her and then she kills her and end of story. But we don't see it like we saw it in past seasons. So it's a, that sounds horrible. That sounds so, but it's a different type of take on the assassin in this role, perhaps maybe because she's trying to redeem herself, we're not necessarily seeing it as in your face as we did see it in like the past seasons. Do you know what I mean? Where it was a little bit more out there and almost artistic sometimes. Like there was that one scene in like the dressmaker shop where like it was a very dramatic scene. And we didn't really have that this season. Yeah. I also think that the ending, I think, is probably one of the more controversial things. We'll talk about but that. But the beginning, I think that it just never got off to the right start. I think those first two episodes, essentially Jesus camp for for Villanelle, I thought that <laughs> from the get-go, I am confused and disoriented about where these characters are and what is happening. Because remember, they left, they had been on the bridge together in London, and they turned their backs and walk away. Yeah. And what happened between then and Eve pulling in on a motorcycle, shooting Constantine in the hand while he's a Russian mayor. It's like, they didn't signpost anything about that. And sometimes it's okay to like nod and reveal. And they never revealed what happened. All of a sudden they no, just dropped him. because he in. dies. <laughs> but you're like, well. Sorry, Kevin. No, but you're like, well, did they get together? Why is Eve upset yeah. at Villanelle? And why is, Vill- why is Villanelle trying to prove her worth? Like all that, none why of that was Why is Constantine a mayor? Yeah. Did he get elected? Why, yes, what is all that about? And then why does he suddenly just walk away? Because here's somebody who might be a good assassin, which I have no idea why they thought Pam would be a good assassin. We'll get to that. But there was a lot of that stuff. It it only really started to take off at the very beginning, for me, of episode three, when they used the giant cards on the screen, and there's one, Philanelle, okay, Eve, we know them, and then it's Pam, and it's, okay, you're like trying to signpost for me at least a little bit about who's who and why we should be paying attention to them. But those first two episodes, you know, were rough. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. All right, guys, I want to take a break, though, and let's talk some business. Okay. Can we do this? Yeah. All right, on the Crime Writers on After Show, we are talking about... What are you laughing at? <laughs> Laura Fricker's face. What? What are we talking about in the After Show, Kevin? Uh, what, is Laura chewing on something? <laughs> she just looked at Chipmunk over there. She's got a face full of chocolate, I think. Covering it up. Both hands. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> on the After Show, uh, we are talking about two things. One, we are going to be talking about the... Uh, person in our hometown yes. who went after to try to get our Wikipedia page taken down. Yes. And that guy now owns our favorite pizza joint. Yes. And so we're trying to figure out what do we do? <gasps> yes. Do we're we... conflicted. Yeah, we're very Five conflicted. Five-minute We're not actually that conflicted. But anyway, Rebecca, is that where you were getting pizza when I called you on the phone? Shh. We're going to save it for the after show, Lara. It's a mystery. Where did the pizza come from? It's an, a mystery. We're saving it for the after show. What do we do? Also, we're going to talk about my first big-time 
ejection yes. of a high school coach. Yes. And apparently the cascading stream of shit that is about to happen because of it. Kevin has ruined nice. somebody's life. <laughs> We're going to talk about that in the after They show. ruined their own life, Rebecca. <laughs> Also, as uh, you may have heard uh, when you read in our newsletter, uh, we had a digital catastrophe Mm. uh, behind the scenes at Partners in Crime Media. Long story short, I need to get a new computer, and that is why the latest Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast has been delayed. Uh. He's recorded it, and uh, you guys did the library book. And yep. that will be out uh, in podcast form very soon. But, Toby, are you preparing for another deep dive? Uh, yeah, we're going to be reading The Arsonist by Chloe Hooper, which I've not started yet, but is about arson started fires in Australia. And got another great panel, Keith Sharon. Nice. Who's been on many times and is multi-talented. He's got screenplays, did a Crime Beat podcast, works for the Tennessean newspaper. We've got criminology professor Elise McGovern, who mm-hmm. uh, works down under, and um, Julia Lowry Henderson. Nice. Of Bikram and a whole bunch of other things. So, yeah, it's going to be good. I've heard the book is really good. Can't wait to get started. So, check it out. So, if you want to hear those podcasts or almost 300 other ones behind our paywall at Patreon, just sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. And yes, please do join our Patreon because your support will help Kevin buy a new computer so that we can actually make stuff. It's how the world works. Listen, your support on Patreon actually does help us make this podcast. It's like directly helping us pay to make this podcast. We're not kidding. So yes, please do join our Patreon at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. And Kevin, thus ends ends the the business business section. section. So, Toby, Kevin was just saying he thought the first two episodes were rough, and you sent me a note. I don't know why they were made. What did you mean by that? Well, I mean, it's almost like a standalone little mini season or something. Like, I, it doesn't really carry through. I guess there may be some thematic stuff, but, you know, if you take a look at what the sort of major plot line there is, which is Villanelle thinking that maybe she converts to Christianity, that that will prove that she's there's some goodness in her and that will make her more appealing to Eve or something. But it's like, A, it's just not what's fun about Villanelle. You know, it's, it's just very different from her being an assassin of these rich, corrupt, for the most part, men, and then, like, viciously murdering you know, a pastor and his daughter in a tent in the woods. I mean, it, it's just, it's just a completely different thing. I thought the whole thing with her being like Laura was saying, drag Jesus, like that didn't hit. I don't think, you know, there was actually a, one of our listeners, Tony kind of explained to me why she liked it, which made a little more sense, but she had like a background in like religious iconography and thought it was clever. Uh, but for those of us who don't have that background, it just seemed like a big swing and a miss. And then there was no follow-up on it. And I was like, yeah. wow, they really jumped the shark. I sent you guys that note. Yeah. But it turned out they didn't because they just kind of let it drop. And yeah. then they like start the real season. Like you were saying, Kevin, on episode three, it's like, okay, well, now we're yeah. actually going to start. Yeah. So I'm going to push back on Tony because Uh-oh. you can say the imagery was fine or that was tied to something. Those first two episodes were just a Wes Anderson ripoff. That's all they were. The, the camp the little tent scene in the woods, completely always symmetrical cinematography where like everyone is in the middle, even the shadow puppet murder scene, mm-hmm. even the, the color of the of the film in that whole like woodsy camp scene. It was just an attempt to sort of be adorable Wes Anderson-ish. And it was dumb. It was just not what the show was. The show always had its own look and its own feel. And I was just like, why is the show even in its art direction going to this place that's like so familiar that like another director does? That's like the look of a whole other set of movies that just doesn't fit this at all. And it was just for me, like very cheap. So I just kept thinking like the idea that Eve. So in a different season of this, like at the beginning of the show, like infiltrating a Christian family and becoming baptized and then doing something really subversive 
would have been a plot point on this show that would have been so dark. Therefore, I ask, do you turn away from sin? I do. Do you reject evil? I do. Do you turn to Christ as your savior? Do you trust? Just go And we all would have been like, oh, fuck. Like, that was amazing. And like the idea that she was actually doing it in like a quasi earnest way to get Eve's attention. It was the worst. It was the worst thing they could have done to this character, in my opinion. It was like it'd be total betrayal of this character, having her wear white. Having her like not drown the woman in the <laughs> in the baptis- baptismal water. I don't know. I mean, look, everything I'm saying makes me sound like a psychopath. I realize that. No, it's supposed to be a fun show about you know a, a female assassin and who's like glamorous and also you know adorably psychopathic, and that's what the show is. It's it's fun in that fantasy way, and you know, in order to like bring about some closure between the two main characters, it kind of drained all of the great things about them. That being said, Laura, there was one really interesting story arc in here that they did not give enough time to that was just sort of Mm -hmm. smashed in at the end. And I think like it could have been something that they played with the whole series. And instead that they just threw it in in this fourth season and then we're supposed to be like, oh, are we like this is what was happening the whole time? And I just felt it also felt cheap in its own way, which was that Constantine and Carolyn apparently knew each other this whole time. And we're supposed to like I I felt I felt like that was sort of jammed in. Well, no, we saw that in season one. They had dinner together. Yes. So but, they they knew each other, but, but we didn't know right. the backstory. We didn't know. No. Yes. Yeah. What do you think of those scenes? Well, I wish there was more of them because like we had young Constantine and he was like the KGB guy, and then we have Carolyn, and they're both young and they're out, and they they clearly have uh, you know a pretty passionate exchange, and then. You know, I mean, honestly, like Constantine is one of my favorite characters in the show. The best. Because he is also in my favorite show of all time, The Bridge, Braun Braun, mm. and was fantastic in that as well. But in this show, I just, I love the character. I love this like laugh he does, especially we see it a couple times this season. Tell me about yourself. What'd you want to know? What are you good at? Embalming. <laughs> Embalming? Yeah. <laughs> That's great. If we're going to kill him off, in what was kind of a letdown of a kill scene for me, honestly, like, I, I feel like I wanted a little more of the background with him and Carolyn. Like, I wanted to amp up that, like, past tension between them because clearly, I mean, this has been decades that the two of them have been having this interaction and we see some of it and you're like, oh, this is really interesting. And then it's gone. And then he's dead, unfortunately. You know, I just, I loved that character. I'm sad he died before the end of the season. I felt like he could have had a more pivotal role at the end with the actual ending in this, which to me was just like, it took me like two days to like get over the ending in the show. But we'll talk about that later. Yeah, yeah. Kevin, what do you think of those flashbacks to Constantine and uh, Carolyn? Do you think it worked? Yeah, I mean, I think it was fine. It was serviceable. It just sort of ended up raising more questions about the 12. Mm. And I'm like, so the two of them were among the original 12? Then who are the 12? The 12 are just the fucking MacGuffin yes. organization That's right. that we got to go after. And we don't see it. We don't really learn anything about what their motives are or what they control or why they're so powerful. There's a club. What is it they want? They're a college club. They're a college club that apparently <laughs> still runs the world and, and has all these high-level assassins that need certain you know people are? need to be killed. And you know what they what, are? What are they? They're the like little economic society that my son has joined now. That he goes, to the, <laughs> my my son has joined this little economics club that they have conferences, and we just found out they have like a Marxist leaning. That's what the twelve is right now, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But then we even you know, and we might just kind of like transition into the ending here. The whole thing is leading towards a confrontation with the twelve, and by the time Villanelle finally comes in, opens the door, says, you know, hello, losers. We see her kill. Everybody in the 12 virtually off screen. Hello, losers. We never see who they are. We don't even see how they die. They just look at, you know, she's just like reaching out. It's over in 30 seconds. Yeah, that's the whole big ending. You know, like, oh. Toby liked it. 
Toby like that uh, death scene? Toby, why'd you like it? Well, I mean, the 12 is just, you just don't know anything about them, right? Like, it's never, the 12 is never defined by anything other than its name and the fact that it's kind of sinister and powerful. But it, there's no logic to it. You don't know what bad influence they have. Uh, you have sort of a vague idea what they are. So I think the idea that you don't, like, learn anything more when it ends is, like, really the only, like... If you were going to do a big reveal, like, oh, you know, and they had an atomic bomb and we're going to blow up the world if they didn't get a million dollar ransom, like, <laughs> that would have been ridiculous. So I think this, given the fact, and I think this is sort of one of the problems with the show in general, is that the surface of a lot of the stuff is good. It's it's hard to drill down very deep. Like, the plot doesn't really make much sense. Like, the 12 doesn't make much sense. The relationships between people don't make any sense. Like you're supposed to believe that Villanelle kills a bunch of Eve's friends and she still falls in love with Villanelle. Yeah. I mean, seriously, I mean, it's ridiculous. So it's just a very surfacey thing. And I think having an ending that tried to dig deeper, you know, would fall even flatter than this, which is okay. We're just, you know, she takes care of the business she's supposed to take care of. And it might be a happy ending, but of course, it's not. See, Toby, I'd be okay with the 12 being very surface, like in the earlier seasons, when the actual focus is Eve versus Villanelle, right? When they're circling each other. That's the real great thing. And, you know, a MacGuffin is just supposed to be a whatever gets this going, and you're not supposed to think about it more. But by season four, if the whole thing is we are going after the 12, it's no longer MacGuffin. It's the, it's the focus of the thing. And I feel like in that case, if it's not going to be E versus Villanelle to the same extent, flesh that out a little more. But I understand exactly what you're saying, too. I, I mean, I think I think what I'm saying is my thinking that was a good ending is a symptom of the problem that you've identified, which is there's just nothing there. Yeah. You know, yeah. they just don't flesh it out. And then my thought is, well, if you're not going to flesh it out, don't make it. Why give it a big ending? Yeah, make, make yeah. the ending fit like what you've set up before, which is not a whole lot. So, Laura, do you care at all about Pam, the uh, developing assassin? Yes or no? What about Pam? Is there a thing about Pam? Oh, that would have been awesome if we had Pam Hupp. It would be the, uh, oh. would be the assassin thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think Pam Hupp killed more people than this Pam did. I don't know. This Pam just was like... This Pam killed her brother. That's pretty brutal. I yeah. know. That was pretty fucked up. So I don't necessarily care about this Pam, but I did think a little bit about this sort of storyline of the either assassins in training or other assassins that they introduced this season. And at first I was like, this is stupid and annoying because they dropped the thread of all of those plot lines. Like you have the super crazy assassin that's like on the next level of Villanelle who just like literally like rips people's hearts out with like her bare hands and like, um, and then you have Mortician, the person who's working down in the autopsy room assassin who basically just like is more conflicted, even though she has no, you know, emotion about anything she's doing. And I was like, this is an irritating, but when I came away from it and I stepped back, I said, actually, it was kind of brilliant because for me, it made me really think about what I was missing from this season, because Villanelle is obviously being sort of rebranded as her Christian camp thing, is that when you see these other assassins that are subpar, you realize Villanelle is actually really fucking good at being an assassin. because. She's able to go in. She's able to do the disguises. She's able to be a chameleon. She wears the outfits. She's cold. She's creative. She's funny. She doesn't get caught up in it. She moves on and she continues. And you see these others, assassins in training and assassins in practice, and you realize nobody is ever really going to add up to the villanelle that we saw in season one. Right. And yeah. when you see the others, you realize that is why she is at the center of this because she is so freaking different from the other assassins that are out there. Hmm. Although we didn't see it this season because she's in Jesus camp and she's in frumpy clothes and she's not in fun outfits, but we know it from the past. Hmm. Her baptismal red gown thing was pretty outstanding, but that was it. Hmm. Yeah, well, she looked good in Cuba too. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, think, I think Rebecca's right in kind of continuing the Wes Anderson thing is that Pam seemed like kind of like a Wes Anderson assassin. Absolutely. Absolutely. She even had like the like 
that look that sort of like bags under the eyes yeah. that sort of like you know that sort of you know dressed like in the army jacket resting sad face yes yeah. okay so we have to talk about the ending because there's a couple of controversial things about the ending one is the abruptness of it but I want to talk about something else about the ending that a lot of fans complained about and that we can't not talk about and that is the bury your gaze trope I don't know if you and uh, Toby know about this Laura but there is this long standing controversy in television and film Mm -hmm. the bury your gaze trope Kevin you know about this you were telling me about this. Yeah, so it is a long-standing uh, trope in television that Glad uh, has been tracking for a long time, that pop culture writers has been tracking for a long time, where television writers, film writers are extremely comfortable uh, killing gay characters. A famous example is the death of Tara in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, when Willow and Tara had this very, very lead gay relationship, lesbian relationship that was central to the plot of the show. Tara dies, it of course, leads to Willow becoming evil. But the specific variants, according to uh, the tropes, are the gay guy dies first, the gay induced suicide, the homophobic hate crime out of the closet into the fire that after a character comes out, they are quickly killed or after Mm -hmm. a gay relationship starts. Somebody dies, which is the case in this. After characters come together, then one of them dies. Uh, That happens again and again and again. Or Vasquez always dies. The most lesbian-coded character, or the closest thing the work has to a, quote, butch character, always seems to get killed off or has the most violent or drawn-out death. That's another coded one. But the one that happens in this is the out-of-closet-into-the-fire death. Um, A lot of people are very, very, very upset that once again, as soon as a couple gets together that the immediate reaction is, got to kill one of them. So there's one reason to be upset about this ending. The other one is the completely unceremonious and abrupt bang, 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 the end title card that happens at the end of the show. So I'd love to go around the horn and sort of get your guys' reactions (laughs) to the ending of Killing Eve, given that context. Uh, Laura Bricker, um, given those two things, do you have reactions to the way that the showrunners decided to end this series? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the first time I watched it, I was like, wait, what the fuck? Are you kidding me right now? Like, that's it? The end. And I'm like, oh, it's no, no, that's the end. Okay. So I had to sit on it today. I'm honestly still kind of undecided. So on one hand, I'm like, you know what? It's the only ending that could have occurred in this season based on the story arc of Villanelle's redemption. And at the end, she sacrifices herself for Eve. And then she she sacrificed herself. She got shot. But she She sacrificed herself by protecting Eve. And she gets in front of Eve. And then she goes up and there's like this blood coming around her. And she looks like an angel descending to the surface. And she has been redeemed. But I'm also like, on the other hand, I'm like, what the fuck? Seriously? We finally, like you said, we get the satisfaction of Eve and Villanelle finally having this relationship that was always like this subcurrent, this undercurrent from the beginning, never acted upon, finally acted upon. They're they're finally happy. They're making out. They're driving in the car. They're having a fun time. They're, they're like together. on this great American. I would have rather had the Thelma and Louise ending where they drove off the cliff in a car and were like, woo! And that was the end. No. Not the ending that we had. So I feel like it was a real sucker punch to a lot of people that have stuck it out for this series because the beginning of the series was so good. The middle, we still love the characters. Not so good. The ending, I'm like, what the fuck? Toby, what do you think of the end of this series? So I think the thing about the, what did you call it? The barrier lens? Uh, the barrier Barry, gaze. Not barrier. Bury your gaze. Oh, bury your gaze. Oh, bury your gaze. I thought you were like, bury your gaze. I'm like... I get what you're saying. I don't know what it has to do with barriers. Um, Bury your gaze. Yeah. So, you know, in some ways it's interesting because my youngest, who consumes a lot of, reads a lot of books, watches TV, very, very, very attuned to that. And it's just like, this was bullshit. There was one uh, gay couple in the entire book and the one guy gets killed or, or whatever. So in some ways, yeah, in some ways, you know, this whole you know, I guess has been kind of leading up to this moment. And, you know, it was either going to end happily or tragically. And, you know, you could flip a coin, but it seemed like it was destined to end tragically. You know, I think I would be upset if I really cared more. I, I just, like I said, I just, I don't buy the relationship. So when it kind of comes 
at the end and it seems like they're happy together. I'm not a huge fan of these, like the bad guy turns out to be actually the good guy in the end. And they go, the good guy and the bad guy go after the real bad guy. Like that, that just happens again and again and again in sequels. Yeah. And I think it's always lame. And so when it ended, you know, whatever I, I, you know, in my mind, you know, if you're going to just end it, it, it doesn't deserve to to continue at this point, given the potential it had at the beginning. So, yeah, it, it's hard to get too wound up about it. Kevin, so where does Carolyn get these sharpshooters? I mean, forget like why she's oh, going to no. do it. She's like apparently uh, a, a traitor. Yeah, she's but been she like, can get yeah. on the phone and get like some MI six assassin to kill Villanelle there, as opposed to all the other times the they times, hung out. Yeah. Yeah, so that's weird. But you're right. She just they go in the water, and as soon as Eve's head bops out, the end, and cut to black. It was yeah, it was terribly abrupt, and I think a real disservice to. I mean, even if you like took another thirty seconds for Eve to like kind of bop around, look around, and start to cry or scream or something like that, it would seem like a more conventional ending. Yeah, whether it was good or bad, but all of a sudden it just again just punched the end which I've never seen. I, I can't remember ever seeing the end on a TV series. So, yeah, I thought, um, yeah, just par for the course. Okay, so I'm just going to say one thing about the end. If the season hadn't sucked so bad, right, uh, and it yeah. had been fine and good, and they had sort of had something where they were, had sort of been brought together, but when they were brought together at the end, you know, Eve, again, something had happened and had come to realize that Villanelle was still scary and not redeemable. And that terror was still present, that would have been a far more satisfying ending. Mm-hmm. I love you. Yeah. I want to fuck you. But you know what? In the end, you're still too fucking scary for me. And I, we cannot go there. And then, and then sort of a tortured ending kind of situation, that is what should have fucking happened. We should have walked away being totally unsatisfied because Villanelle is fucking scary. And the fact that they turned her into a teddy bear to me is almost more upsetting than the fact that they killed her. That is how I feel about the ending. Yeah. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. All right. Well, I think we should do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out the fourth and ultimate season of Killing Eve, a show that we used to love Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for the final season of Killing Eve? Um, okay, here's the thing. If you have watched the first three seasons of Killing Eve, you are going to watch the fourth season because you <laughs> need to know how it is going to resolve. I'm going to give it a thumb sideways because the thing is, I want to know what happens to all the characters I love. I want to know what happens to Constantine. And I want to know what happens to Carolyn. And I want to know what happens to Eve and Villanelle and... All of the characters that I love in this show. I don't really like how it played out. I feel like there was a lot of threads that started in this narrative that never got resolved. Like all of a sudden we have like, we've like been led into the circle of like the assassin world and we know who the other assassins are and other things that are happening. And I was very conflicted about the ending. I understand why they did it. I don't love it. I think there was a different ending that they could have done. And I feel like people that have hung on for four seasons are going to feel let down by that. But all in all, I'm just going to say, if you watch the first three, you're probably going to watch this season. So thumbs sideways. You're going to watch it. You're not going to love it. You're not going to hate it. You're going to be like, 
what the fuck. Tell me about what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for the final season of Killing Eve? So look, if you're that interested in what happens, just like go back like 15 minutes on this podcast and then we like kind of ruin it all and mm. it'll save you a lot of time watching some really mediocre TV. Um, I kind of came into it feeling like Killing Eve was kind of played out and it had been played out for a while and there's nothing about this season that made me feel differently. I kind of feel like Killing Eve kind of peaked at like episode six of season one and it's been just sort of steadily going downhill since then. Unfortunately, this season kind of continued that. So I, I'm a pretty strong thumbs down. It's even more than it would be if this was just standing alone, because I think there was such a strong platform that could have been used over the course of like almost 50 episodes. And after the first six, there might have been five or six episodes that were, were really good and sort of used the potential of it. But for the most part, I think they set up a really kind of cool world and, and cool characters, and they chose the wrong aspects of those characters to pursue. And yeah, I just, I, I don't know how it went so wrong, but it did. So I'm a thumbs down, and that's all I can tell you. Kevin Flynn. Guys, I'm going to do something here. This is absolutely serious. I want to play for you the last voicemail I got from my father before he passed away. You're kidding. Now, the uh, this, this said, so you can understand what he says sort of in the beginning. We were supposed to go to Ireland together, and uh, of course, then nobody went anywhere because of COVID. But I still, when, when we were supposed to go, I kept sending text messages as if I were in Ireland. And when he would respond, I couldn't quite tell if he understood it was a joke or not. So he ended up trying to call me and and explain, and this is the message. Hi, Kev. Um, uh, you fooled me last night about um, the airplane, but I've I, I been going along with your uh, messages about where you are in Dublin or Ireland. Um, also, I uh, want to talk to you about uh, uh, Killing Eve. JP, can you call? <laughs> that's awesome now I'm not saying that I'm glad my dad did not live to see season 4 of Killing Eve but I'm also not not saying that uh, oh charming uh, this was a real disservice wow. to some of the best characters that have come along in the last five or so years uh yeah, it just really just kind of lost its way. It's very unfortunate. I mean, we're talking, we were so excited about the strong female characters from season one, and now we're just like, I can't believe they didn't know what to do with them. So I am a thumbs down. Yeah. Sandra Oh and Jodie Comer are like two of the best actors working right now. What a fucking waste of their time this whole enterprise was. Huge thumbs down for me for many, many reasons, as discussed by my partners uh, previously and as discussed by the previous 30 minutes of discussion of this fucking terrible season of television. Huge thumbs down for me for season four of Killing Eve. Man, I'm sorry to everyone who was involved with it. It's not your fault. It's the writer's fault. It's not Sandra's fault. It's not Jody's fault. Uh, but I'm really sorry your time was wasted this way. Thumbs down for me for season four of Killing Eve. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime. Crime of the week. Of the week. Experts say, no, it's not your imagination. Your farts actually do smell worse in the shower. Actually, the spokeswoman for the organization, Guts UK, says the farts aren't any more pungent, but the location makes them more intense. She says three factors make ripping one in the shower more noticeable. For one, being naked means no clothes to absorb the gases when you beef. Also, the closed space of the shower stall means your fluff or doodle will stay around longer. Finally, hot water opens up your nostrils so you can get an extra good whiff of your air biscuit. Science has explained another great mystery. Now, the group will try to answer where those bubbles in your tub are coming from. So, panel, spill your guts. Laura Bricker, have you ever noticed that your farts do smell worse in the shower? Um, well, you know what? I'm just going to say that it reminds me of, like, something being boiled and submerged in water. So, like a New England boiled dinner, it <laughs> might smell better with a little mustard. 
<laughs> Who wants gawumpkies? Uh So, Toby, is this a phenomenon that you've experienced? Your I'm not smelling? gonna argue against the science. All right, Kevin Flynn, what about you? Well, I don't know if they smell any worse, but they do sound better. Yeah, I'm the a- acoustics are good. Kevin, I live with you. Your farts smell bad everywhere. There you go. That's all I'm going to say. All right. <laughs> I'm in the control group, Rebecca. Laura Bricker, folks want to reach out to you and find out what exactly the horror known as the New England Boiled Dinner is. Trust me, guys. You do not fucking want to know. How can they find you on Twitter? Uh, they can find me at Laura Bricker, but don't discount the value of the mustard in that dinner, Rebecca. Oh my, it's pretty darn good. It's so not good. Toby Ball, folks want to reach out to you and say, I'm glad you're feeling better, and I hope you feel even more better soon. How can they find you on Twitter? At Toby Ball NH. And Kevin Flynn, if folks want to reach out to you and give you tips on the perfect Dutch oven, how can they reach out to you? <laughs> I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And please join our incredible community in our Crime Writers On Facebook group. We've had many new members in the last couple of weeks. Go to Facebook, go to our page, search for the group, hit join the group, answer a couple questions. We will let you in if you're not lame. Support the show at Patreon com slash partners in crime media you'll get the extra podcast we make there they are awesome trust me our theme song was composed and performed by ty gibbons our line editor is the incredible olivia burdett the executive producer of this program is the handsome kevin flynn and well dressed this show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in bay st louis mississippi studio otherwise known as studio c the closet in our new hampshire basement where we take baths together, which sounds sexy, but is actually just cramped and awkward. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. later. Toby, by the way, for someone who sounds as sick as you do, you look amazing. Yeah, well, I'm keeping it together for the ladies. (laughs) That's what they like. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.